Hello, Ben. How are you doing? I'm feeling very relaxed, Ethan. That's good. Uh, as you can see, I've set up the studio here in a very relaxed manner. I've candles and uh, a lot of sand. And uh, I just watched Get Out, and I was hoping I could lead you in a bit of a hypnotherapy session. Hmm. Are those uh, beeswax candles? That's correct. Hmm. Good. So we're here today because you are addicted to crack cocaine. Is that correct, Ben? Um, yes, just the smoking it, though. Today we're here to have you stop, because from what I've been told, your girlfriend is uh, quite upset about the the crack usage. Yes, both of them. Uh, what? What was that? Both of my girlfriends are upset about it. Ah, well, one issue at a time here today. Let's just deal with the, deal with the crack. Um, how long have you been using? Seven years. Seven years, yeah. It's a long time, but you look great. Thank you. You're welcome. So, I want you to focus on my tea mug, the one that says best wife, which, uh, before you ask, is not my mug. This is just a mug that was in the office. I'm going to count down from five, and I don't want you to think about crack. I want you to specifically think about the first time that you tried crack. So five, where were you? I was at your house. That's correct. It was my old apartment, which was a mess. Uh, cockroaches, so hear the cockroaches and see the mold. Or what were you wearing? Do you remember what you were wearing? I was wearing one of your t-shirts. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. Wearing one of my shirts and no pants. So I want you to think about that. You're pantsless in my disgusting apartment. And from what I recall, I was offering you crack three. Is that correct? I was... That is correct. That is correct. Uh, but I was not doing crack. From what I recall, I, I wanted you to do crack and I wanted to watch too. And you accepted the crack. Why did you do that? Uh, you told me it would um, get me off the marijuana I was smoking. That's correct. Which it did. So I wasn't wrong about that. Is that correct? That's correct. I haven't um, partaken in marijuana since. And that's why I wanted to get to this point to tell you that marijuana is much better than crack and that I think you should switch back and not do crack anymore. One, how do you feel? Hmm, I desire the marijuana. Well, I'll have you know that's what you've been smelling the whole time. The candles were actually made of weed. Weed wax. Hmm, you lied to me. That's correct, but it was for the best. Um, Ben, you've never seen Get Out, have you? I have not. All right, let's get the show started. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Bad, 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 bad science. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bad Science. I am your host, Ethan Edinburgh, and today we are talking about an absolutely fantastic film, a horror comedy called Get Out, which I think everybody thought was one of the best movies of 2017. Um, we are here with Dr. Rafael Romero, a neuroscientist and assistant director for outreach for the Brain Research Institute at UCLA. How's it going? Very good. Thanks. Happy to be here. 
I got that intro right? You got it perfectly. Okay, yeah. fantastic. First try, not bad. Excellent. Uh, thank you for joining us. And of course, here with us is rapper, comedian, all around wonderful artist, Open Mike Eagle. Wow, that was great. Yeah. I feel I feel a lot better about myself now than before you said that. I mean, I could keep going. No, I wouldn't need. I wouldn't <laughs> want you to do that. Um, open mic. I have so much to ask you about. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna geek out. Of course, I'm gonna remain calm and professional uh, as you always do. Thank you. So I didn't know much. you liked me at all until you said that. Uh, I like to keep it a secret. It's good. <laughs> but here uh, we're having a long conversation, and I felt like I should just let it be known. Your last album, Brick Body Kids, still daydream was called one of the best albums of 2017, according to Rolling Stone, Stereo Gum, Pitchfork, and NPR. Yeah. And I personally enjoy the crap out of it. Well, that's good. Yeah. I'm putting out a new one soon, too, so I hope all five of you guys like it. <laughs> Me? Uh, you and all and Rolling Stone. four other... Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it'll be six after I listen. Hey, there oh, we go. Okay. I got <laughs> potential for another fan here. That's right. Yeah, we I don't even it. have to put this out. You're getting Absolutely, fans in the yeah. room. That's good. I like Absolutely. it. I made a cool. good decision coming here today. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you feel that way at the end. Um, okay, so let's talk about first the movie. Uh, Get Out. I, I personally saw it in theaters. Did you guys see it in theaters? I did. I saw it... Um I was in a weird place. Where was I at? Where was I at? Where was I at? Weird place I emotionally, in, it sounds like. Well, I'm always in a weird... That's my address. But <laughs> I was... Oh, 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 I was in Columbia, Missouri mm. uh, for the... for the. It was a film festival that I can't remember. But I was okay. um, doing a show at the film festival, and I wanted to make sure I saw it the weekend it came out. So I had to go nice. um, by myself in Columbia, Missouri to wow. seek it out. And I was very afraid. Like, like was, because it was a scary movie or because, like, going to see a movie by yourself? Is... Well, going to see a movie by myself with racial undertones mm -hmm. in the very, very middle of America <laughs> was, was was a frightening proposition for me. And how'd it go? It went great. Okay. Everybody laughed at the right times and not the wrong times. That's, oh, that's what I was... That's huge. I was concerned with that. Also concerned with my safety, but definitely concerned with inappropriate... <laughs> right type laughter yeah yeah that makes yeah. sense you don't look like a guy that too many people would mess with though you, yeah you recently were in a wrestling match i should also it's true that's why that's why i have a scar on my face right now because i was in a wrestling <laughs> match um two nights ago yeah and how'd yeah. that go by the way just a quick uh, side um, tangent i it went well in that um i won it yep but also, I was in a wrestling match, so I'm in a lot of pain. Right. Because right. I've never done anything like that before. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have the yeah. proper uh, decade-long no. career of being beat up. Mm -mm. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Two days. <laughs> yeah. And you've yeah, got the days. scar to prove it. Yeah. I can see the Absolutely. scar. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, Doc? Where, uh, did you see it in theaters? Uh, no, I was actually much lazier. I waited until it came out on Netflix. Um, <laughs> but I have to admit, I do have a very big television. Um, okay. It's like an... 80 inch I can't remember Ooh, uh, with yeah. full surround sound like so the size of my wall yeah so <laughs> so I did have that experience where you know I could still be enthralled by the movie and sort of absorbed by it but yeah. um, but I, I missed out on did people laugh at the right time mm -hmm. it, it is feeling. it is kind of funny which kind of surprised me because yeah. I thought as a thriller I would just be scared but I, I could see how um, there was some humor that was intended um, because of course the storyline is very unique, and so sure. I, I think they wanted to make us uncomfortable in ways where we had to laugh. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I missed out on that experience, but we did laugh. I, I watched it with my wife, and I'm not sure it's at the right time, but I think it was. Yeah. It, it felt right. Let me ask you this, because when I I'm, I'm not necessarily a huge horror film fan, but I do watch a lot of horror movies, and I think that when they're good, it's like this huge, you know, uh, shock almost. You're like, wow, that horror movie was actually 
fantastic. That was just a great film and should be nominated for, like this movie was, a bunch mm-hmm. of awards. It won Best Screenplay. Um, did you guys, do you, do you think that there's, like, does it, is it in the top, you know, five horror films for you? It's in the top five horror films that I'll watch. That you'll watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I, I kind of agree with that because I <laughs> I like horror, but I don't like gore. Right, right. Um, and so I try to avoid a lot of horror movies because they put a lot of gore in there just to sure. make it, whatever, more exciting or, or visceral. But yeah. I did appreciate that the movie restrained itself. And so mm-hmm. the, the gory parts were implied. Mm-hmm. More um, about tension. And exactly. And so I, I'm okay with there had to be gore. And, uh, you know, if, if you think about it, there was a character trying to survive and he was fighting for his life. So I, I could get that, but I don't need to see the details. If you imply gotcha. that he needed to murder someone, I'm okay with that. But mm-hmm. I don't okay. need to see the details. So I, I did enjoy that. So I agree with you. For the movies that I watch, mm-hmm. it was a very good movie. But okay. I stay away from gory movies just because I don't, I don't enjoy that too much. Okay. Yeah, I'm just uh, kind of a coward. So, <laughs> Like you don't want to watch scary movies because you're going to get scared? I get real scared. <laughs> and then I get scared of like my own house. Right, and yeah. then like darkness that I'm, I'm very okay with other times, but after seeing a scary movie, suddenly, just there could be stuff in that darkness. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It you know? stays with you. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't, um, I don't discharge stuff like that well. Okay, so it takes typic- you a bit. Yeah. So I was. That's another concern I had going into that movies. I don't watch horror movies. Okay. So, um, I was pleasantly surprised that this one. Uh, was more in the psychological thriller category. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that when yeah. it does get gory there towards the end, it's such a heroic set, you know, sequence that it's like, I don't know, I, for me at least, I didn't mind the gore yeah, at no, all. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it either. But again, they restrained it, so they, they kind of yeah. hid it in different ways so that you don't have to see it mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they, they set you up to the point that you realize like, yeah, I mean, I probably do the same thing if I'm in that situation. Absolutely. Um Okay, so I wanted to talk about the, like, paranoia of being in the suburbs or, mm. like, the paranoia of, like, you know, uh, like, white liberals the, who are... Like, like the paranoia of going to see a, a racially tinged movie alone <laughs> yeah. uh, in Columbia, Missouri. In Columbia, Missouri, right. <laughs> like, I think the the movie made a really cool statement on, like... Maybe you're paranoid, but maybe you're not paranoid enough. <laughs> you need to be worried, like you legitimately worried, because this crazy shit can happen. Yeah, I, I, one, you know, um, part of the reason that a movie with a premise this absurd could resonate with me is because it kind of gives body to um, to a certain paranoia that is, in a sense, based on reality. It's not based right. on necessarily a high probability of something happening to you um, if you're of a certain ethnicity in a place. But it's like the echoes of the past things and the uh, you know, um, possibility of, of, of things that can happen, too. And um, that does create a mild paranoia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was interesting that this... The premise of this movie offered um, some way to embody that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess there's that social awkwardness that you kind of sense. That's the way I, I approached the or the, what the movie forced me to feel was this initially. Yes. Yeah, there's a cultural difference that's huge, and I could see how somebody can get paranoid because well, you're the only one like you in that in that scenario and so it could be awkward yeah um and i agree yeah the paranoia i mean the movie plays on this thing that something absurd is going to happen that you know it's not we hope never happens in real life but Mm -hmm. uh, nevertheless the social tension is quite 
obvious. Um, yeah. And I, I did like it because it makes you uncomfortable. So I guess that's good storytelling. Yeah. Uh, but perhaps it also serves the role of uh, making you more aware of things that we perhaps we take for granted. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned one of the things I wanted to talk about because there's a lot of symbolism in the movie, but one of them they kept doing um, was like his eyes or just seeing things through somebody else's perspective. You know, he's a photographer, so he's always, you know, he has the camera on him, which I think is a good way of displaying, you know, and the phone, like the flash of the phone is what like wakes these people up out of their shit. Right. Um, so I think that that, like, it really does put you in Chris's perspective in the movie and you feel that social awkwardness no matter who you are, right. you know, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. Um, I mean, honestly, there's so many parts of this movie that are absolutely fantastic. We could just talk about that the entire time. Um, but I have some facts on it. I don't know if you guys know. So it was filmed in 23 days, which I found wow. absurd. That's incredible. It's mm. super incredible. So almost real time, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's like such a crazy feat. Um, and then uh, Daniel, and I'm not sure how to say his last name, Kaluuya? Do you I know? think it is Kaluuya. Kaluuya? Okay. He was given the lead role on the spot because he like nailed his audition. He did five takes of this key scene where he is supposed to cry, and he like cried at the same exact time each time and I think Jordan Peele just told him right away like <laughs> okay this is you have this role it's over right um, that that um, speaks to my audition paranoia very well what do you mean that uh, I never nail it so, oh. I, so I never get the job <laughs> well you just gotta cry at the same time yeah each time. none of my roles ever asked me to cry I could how, how hard can that be right? yeah, yeah exactly. I've, I've, I've never auditioned because I know I can't cry on cue <laughs> that's, that's that's we'll given. do some training before you leave here today and we'll just force you to cry somehow oh it'll be easy okay oh, but so then perfect all I get offered is comedy roles though so I'm not sure I mean, I think there's a role for a person that's crying in, in comedy. That's right? true. It's always funny to see someone miserable. <laughs> that's true. Unfortunately. In the right context, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the right context, sure. Yeah. Um, did you guys know there was an alternate ending? I did know that, um, was it just one alternate ending? I think there was one alternate ending, I could be wrong, that they shot, uh -huh. and then there was another one that they didn't shoot, but that was yeah, uh, gotcha. in there somewhere. Yeah, I didn't know, so I guess now I have to buy the DVD. I'm, yeah. I'm sure they'll, <laughs> buy the they'll include it. And yeah. a DVD player, probably. <laughs> 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 um, but in the alternate ending, the uh, the cop car that comes at the end is not driven by his friend, Rod. It's driven by the actual police, which mm -hmm. is like the fear that you have when the cop car you know right. comes. Especially given that, you know, the, right. uh, what is her name? The, do you remember? Um, her name is Rose. Rose. Rose, Rose, how um, she had made it to appear that she was being assaulted in some way. So, yeah, the yeah. worst fear would have been that, you know, White cop suburban. Right. Yeah. And in fact, that's what I thought was going to happen because I thought they were going to end the movie like the most visceral way possible where right. you're left almost sad and crying yourself. So that is what he intended. That was the ending they had in the movie. They did screenings with that in there. And I think it was it was viewed that way where people were coming out like it in a bad mood because of that mm -hmm. and then also at that time was like the peak of all of these uh, black people being shot by white cops right. and so there was like this you know multiplication effect of sadness when you right. left the movie and that's not what they wanted and so he decided to flip the script and you know have like the hero get away right which, at the end which yeah, is nice it makes you feel better yeah. but I, it depends on what the um, I guess director wanted because I, I was mm -hmm. kind of prepared to end the movie by saying wow this sucks right mm -hmm. but 
I learned a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, within you, the story. It's cool, yeah, you get both. Uh, you get to leave the film feeling good and and having a little comic relief there, but at the same time, reflecting on the film and being like, man, you know, look at all these fucked up uh, mm-hmm. symbols and all the, you know, especially going back, I, I just rewatched the film, and so this is my second time watching it, and there was so much in there that you don't even realize the first time you see it. That really sticks out and makes you, I don't know, oh, right? Especially if you, you know if you know what happens in the end. I think you, if you watch rewatch the movie, yes, you pick up on the nuances that you missed initially. And um, there's tons of them that he put in there, totally on purpose for multiple viewings. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that alternate ending—it's online, so everybody can go see it. And like the final scene is him in jail, and you know he's uh, melancholic, of course, and like you know the. Jail cell door is closing. That's probably the party auditioned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, so there's also just uh, at the party, for example, Chris is wearing blue and everybody else has like red Hmm. clothing. So that was like a subtle thing that I didn't. It's like Crips and Bloods. It's like Crips and Bloods. I think that's what it was trying to comment (laughs) on. It's all about game banging, folks. We have solved it. Yeah, Yeah. people didn't know. Um, It was just saying that one gang is right. Yes. Always. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then the post operation characters in the movie are all wearing hats or wigs which you know you don't realize when you're first watching it because you don't know that they have had an operation but the second time uh, the uh, groundskeeper is wearing a hat you notice and then uh, Andre who has it uh, turns into Logan I think his name was the second time around he's like wearing like a straw hat mm-hmm. um, so I thought that was kind of cool and smart um, and then there's the deer do you guys have uh, theories on the deer or guesses? Because there was very clear deer symbolism. <laughs> I don't remember the deer that much. I do remember they hit a deer on the way yes. to the house. There's that. And then, of course, there's the head of the deer, right? Yes. In the room where, where he's, know, he, being, he's uh, tied up and he's ready for – he's in the pre-op. Pre-op, right? yes, uh-huh. exactly. Which I'm sure is the same, right, for regular patients yes. doing pre-op. I, with minus the deer, of course. I, uh, <laughs> minus the deer, yeah. That'd be pretty cool. If it was, I agree. It might be more relaxing. Yeah, I think so. Take a look Unless at a you're nice a deer. deer. <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. Terrifying, but, man. What kind of operation? But I've never seen a deer in a hospital setting, so yeah. yeah. Um, Not yet. Um, well, yeah, I, I read about it online a bit, and so the word buck... Is oh. what you call a male deer, but also was a racial slur. Oh, it still is. If you if mm-hmm. you look at um, uh, pornography, oh, where um, where there's uh, very racially charged segments with black men and white women. Okay. Um, oftentimes, those men are referred to as bucks. Whoa. Yeah. Hmm. I did I, not realize I, this. I did not know that either. Yeah, you guys don't watch as much porn as I do. But I guess not. Apparently okay. not, yeah. Send me some links, Mike. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> not, not those. I'll send you some other ones. <laughs> yeah, though. don't send me those, right. actually. Well, for research. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty crazy. Uh, there's also, like, a deer in headlights look that Chris has a lot of the time, like when he's being hypnotized. Right. Where it's just, you know, those wide open eyes. Um, and the camera's right in his face. Um, and I, I think it was just a symbol for, obviously, his mom. He, you know, he talks about how his mom was uh, hit, but a hit and run, killed uh, via hit and run, and he just didn't do anything about it, so that was making him think of his mom. But there was a, a plenty of uh, evidence to say that the deer was also him in the story, and they were linked. And then I think it was also black people in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that the father, I can't remember his name, but the guy from the West Wing, uh, Bradley Whitford, 
Fork? I can't remember. Whitford. Sure, it works. <laughs> Whitford. About yeah. <laughs> that's probably not his name. <laughs> Whitford. I think it's Whitford. Anyways, he he talks about deer as you know that he wants all of them gone, and uh, mm-hmm. you know is very outspoken about that in one scene, and that that was the first time upon watching it this time where I was like, oh, the deer isn't just referring to his mom's death or him, but it's like the entire race. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, and then the sunken place. That's my favorite part of the whole movie. <laughs> Why is it your favorite part? Because I think that I think the story of black people in America is very uh, tied into trauma. And the sense that I got was that the sunken place is, is the place where you're uh, experiencing trauma you haven't processed. Mm. And so um, what was the woman's name? Do you remember? Well, when she was when she was um, hypnotizing him, and, uh-huh. and and the path that she took was having him access uh, painful memories, and he fell into that place. And yeah. and it, for me, it would make sense then that black people would be easier to uh, maneuver into that state, having generations and generations of trauma yeah. um, to deal with. So um, that makes sense. They didn't they didn't say that in the movie, but that totally yeah, it's an out, interesting I perspective. I didn't necessarily perceive it that way but I because I could see well because it's true they, the sunken place you, you actually see your life mm-hmm. through a little screen but you can't control it right so it's right. basically things are playing out in front of you and you're helpless mm-hmm. so it's an interesting perspective um, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't approached that I, I approached it more scientifically because I course. thought you know it was like well is it possible to actually push someone into a part of your brain where you lose control of your body and I mean the good news is that that's not possible okay. uh, through hypnosis or any other way um, perhaps with the exception of being in a coma. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only way that we could argue that your, your being is but not controlling your body. But you're saying you can't purposely put somebody in a coma? Um, not through hypnosis. I mean, purposely, okay. you'd have to create some form of brain damage. So gotcha. You I just assumed there was like a medicine you could yeah, inject in someone to put them in a coma. I, you know, you, there are drugs that can induce a coma-like state, right? Ah. So it'll slow down your brain. Um, this is, these are the things that, for example, you'll give people that are recovering from major accidents. Mm. Uh, for example, if, if your brain has been damaged, you can mm. induce a coma um, so that you don't do much except heal. Gotcha. Um, so maybe with those exceptions or brain yeah. damage that causes a coma, fortunately, it's not possible to force someone to go into the sunken place on purpose. Um, gotcha. So I, I was looking at the movie from that perspective, mm-hmm. but I can see how it, it could serve um, as a symbol of you've been pushed to a place where you're help, helpless and you can just watch things happen mm-hmm. in front of you and and there's nothing you can do. Yeah, I was seeing it from that perspective also, especially the second time around, looking for, you know, meaning as much as I could. And uh, I came across, I don't know if it was a tweet or if it was in an interview, but Jordan Peele said, the sunken place means we're marginalized. No matter how hard we scream, the system silences us. Mm. So... I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I just like it as a as a very very rich metaphor. I think there's just a lot that can be explored there, and um, you know, it just reminds me of a lot of what I deal with in my music. It's kind of exploring um, those sorts of feelings or or uh, that that sort of place. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, the I think that's it's like a really common. It's not it's not necessarily talked about. We don't all you know conversate about this, but I think there is a really uh, relatable feeling of you know kind of like watching your life or like taking a back seat to 
what's actually happening and the way you're actually behaving and mm -hmm. and responding to someone who you know maybe you would want to respond in a very different way and you want to tell them what you really think but what you really think is like in the sunken place and mm -hmm. not allowed to say all of those things right right um okay so let's talk about hypnosis for a second Sure. Shall we? I'll, I'll answer any of your questions. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll hear what you <laughs> have to say about it. Yeah. I know you've done it with music. Um, Not on purpose. Are you Are you uh, like curious about that, Mike? Or do you Absolutely. have any experience? I mean, I, I um, you know, I studied psychology and, you know, that's what I have my bachelor's degree in. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, by the yeah. way. I read that. Why did you choose psychology? I was surprised by that. I've always, uh, the, my first exposure to psychology is like a, subject of study was in high school like we just had a psychology class yeah and i was like this is fucking amazing yeah same by um, the way loved my psychology class yeah and so um that was the you know probably the field of study that just most appealed to me because um observing and trying to understand human nature is fascinating for me um so i became attracted to it then and i was you know i was Taking a path of, of having a career I, where I was I was going to be a counseling psychologist wow. is, is what I was going to do. I think you'd be great at that. Um, I I think so too. Okay. I think I think uh, I think that toolkit still pretty sharp. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, I just use it on my friends and don't get paid any money. You know? <laughs> well, uh, maybe that'll change. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we'll just start Venmoing you. <laughs> hey, I'm not against it. <laughs> um, okay, so I mean, obviously something changed along the way. You wanted to make music and uh, be the man you are today. Yeah. But still, I'm sure very interested in this and. Uh, I mean, have you gone to therapy? Yeah, I go to therapy. Yeah, you've you've gone to therapy mm -hmm. a bunch. Mm -hmm. For how long? Um, I'm in therapy again. It's my third time. Uh, third this... time meaning like you stopped and started. Yes, like a few times. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm in I'm in uh, like a trauma therapy now. Trauma therapy. Yeah. Should I ask what the trauma is about, or should, is well, that not allowed? I, well, I, it'd be loud if I wanted to talk about I'm it. I'm right? all game, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's just acting the expert to say, like, Ethan, don't uh, back up, man. No, no, yeah, go Gotta for make it. sure that, you know, the HIPAA requirements are met on the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm, 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 I wouldn't say exactly what it was, but it is a different sort of therapy than, like, a lot of talk therapy and stuff that I've done in the past. Oh, okay. It's, it's a lot more... Um, like there's there's physical elements to it oh. because it's about accessing uh, things that I haven't processed that are still like in my body, not just in my head. Whoa, you know, wow, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So, how when when was the first time? Like how long ago did you start going to therapy? I started going to therapy when I was in college. So, oh wow, it was like 15 years ago. Maybe. Related to this trauma. Um, yeah, but I just didn't know at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. You just thought it was a good idea to do it. Yeah. Got you. I've wanted to do it for a long time. Never done it. It's, I think it's good. Okay. I think it's good. I think it's good to have one person in your life that knows everything. And if that person <laughs> yeah. is a professional, all the better. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I would like that to happen because I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, as long as you trust the person, I exactly. That's kind of critical because if they know your deepest secrets, then they can manipulate you, right? Absolutely. Um, and I kind of feel like there are plenty of them that would do that. Is that wrong of me to assume that I, that I, professionals would? I think that there's, and maybe this is just based on absolutely nothing or the media or something, but I feel like there's plenty of. Shrinks, if I may call that. Is that a derogatory term? I don't think so. I mean, it's not the professional term, but okay. I, I think everyone accepts it as. The, I just like saying it. It's I the guess. slang shrinks. term, I guess. Yeah, it's a slang term for. <laughs> There's for plenty of shrinks that that seem crazy to me, mm. and that I feel like 
maybe they got into it and want to talk to people that are somewhat crazy because they're crazy. And so I wouldn't be able to trust them. It's funny you say that because I do know um, a fair amount of psychiatrists, and I, um, and they are odd in yeah. a way. And I wouldn't necessarily say they're crazy, but okay, yeah, that's if, a wrong, if, that's a bad. You know, term. I, I accept that term. I'm saying when you talk to them, you realize that there's something wrong with you, <laughs> and, and maybe maybe that's the reason you're a psychiatrist. Maybe you can understand your patients a little bit better. Oh, okay, um, that's a good. But, then that, that's a good way to spin it, actually. Um, but but I, I I agree with you that some psychiatrists are they're, they're there's something different about them that they're they're not your typical human. Yeah, they don't I just behave. it would be tough for me to uh, like I feel like I would almost be uh, like testing them in a way you uh, know like I would need some good solid proof of, like this guy's got my best interests at heart. Yeah, yeah, I, I think they do. It's just that they're I think it requires a particular personality to become a psychiatrist because you're going to be dealing with some really odd things mm-hmm. um, you know people that have psychiatric diseases uh, they're, they're hard to handle and there's yeah. things that if you're not used to seeing um, they, they can potentially make you kind of crazy right so I think it requires that kind of personality so I, I don't blame him for that but they are odd sometimes okay not you've all. had good experiences you've um, had three right yeah my first therapist was probably pretty good but I was very immature and so I was more in that position where I was testing him yeah good you know? hunting type yeah, I would I wouldn't I wasn't uh being vulnerable enough to really solve anything in my own life. Gotcha. You know. Um um I'm, the therapist I had in the middle, I had to stop going to her cuz I realized it was a bad fit. And oh. I think it's got something to do with what we're talking about. Um she was, you know, everybody's unique in their own, you know, way. She's she the way that she does therapy. Yeah was distracting to me. You well, know what I mean? Like it it wasn't it wasn't a good fit. Okay. Um and, you know, you, you might put her in that something's wrong with you category. <laughs> and maybe that worked for some people. But for me, it was yeah. it, was, it was annoying as shit is really what the yeah. problem was. <laughs> that's so um, funny. But that's yeah. interesting because it is true that you have to have a fit with your therapist. In no, fact, I'm even sure. for hypnosis, that, that's actually going to be critical because mm. not everyone is hypnotizable. But I uh, read that there's a large percentage of people that are, that it's like 70 to 80 percent are, I don't know, I can't remember what the term is, but uh, you probably know. Like, uh, yes, yeah, susceptible to... Yeah, to uh, suggestions, basically. Yeah, Because yeah. the whole premise of hypnosis is to be able to put an idea in your head and, and that way change your behavior. Okay. Um, but that requires a person to want to accept that new idea. Right. Um, so if they're not willing, um, then no matter what you tell them under hypnosis or not, mm-hmm. they just won't change. Okay, so in the movie, he's trying to quit smoking cigarettes right and a lot of people go to hypnotherapy for addiction yes do would you recommend that it would work for some people again okay. it, it it varies really and that's why hypnosis today is not used by everyone right and, and mm-hmm. if you talk to professionals not everyone recommends hypnosis i mean is there a it, downside probably not um that's the thing in fact we don't really know what happens in the brain to cause hypnosis i mean mm-hmm. we've actually tried to uh, scan the brain right mm-hmm. you, you can do um, imaging studies, and it ends up being that almost everyone's brain works differently under hypnosis. So there's no particular uh, pattern of behavior, pattern of activity of the brain that tells us that you're under hypnosis. And so it, it's kind of unclear. Wow. So that's why a lot of researchers will say, well, hypnosis, some people think it's not really real. Some people say, right. well, it's something like the placebo effect. Hmm. You kind of believe it, and therefore that's why you change. Others will argue that, no, you, you could probably get under someone's brain and then kind of suggest things and change them. Right. That was that was one of the, the cons that I came across on the internet, which of course is not very reliable, but <laughs> it was saying that they can 
Yeah, give you... One of the things I read was false memories. That's, like, terrifying to me because I... You could end up, like, Wolverine. You could have... Yeah. You could have claws in your arms. Like, how'd these get here? I mean, that's kind of best-case scenario. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned... I I would argue that with hypnosis, you can't put false memories in in someone's brain. That's just impossible using hypnosis. However... Uh, there is one researcher I know working at MIT, um, perhaps your listeners would, would want to Google him. Mm. Uh, his name is Susumu Tonegawa. And he published about six years ago a paper that, in fact, I've used to teach my students about how you can change you know, activity in the brain, uh, that very much rem- reminded me of the movie Inception, which Ooh. is this idea where you can implant memories. And so, oh, no, memory. you know... Okay. So he actually did it with mice, not with humans. And but he managed, and it was a very simple type of experiment where he was basically trying to get them to be scared of um, a little box. Where you know, if you put mice in a box and you give them a, an electric shock, they'll associate that negative feeling with the box. And so if you put them in the box later, uh, they freeze, which is the way that they tell you that they're freaking out. Um, so he actually managed to trick certain mice uh, to be afraid of that box without having ever felt the shock. So he basically implanted a memory. So it is doable, but that requires some technology that it literally you have to put electrodes into the animal's brains and you have to activate a, a particular circuit to get the animal to behave in a particular way. I mean, I would think that that's totally impossible. So that's already we, In fact, I, I would have told you that at the time that it was impossible when I, when I came across the paper and I read it and I realized that, yeah, he did everything right. And, you know, he, he he's trying to understand what his lab is doing is trying to understand how the brain works and how circuits, different cells in the brain form circuits that can mm-hmm. cause behavior. So that's not hypnosis at all. No. It's literally shocking a certain part of the brain. It's literally exactly activating brain circuits whenever you want, right? But so th- that's, that would be the only way to do it. But again, only in mice. So just to be fair with the experiment, we've never done anything remotely similar in humans uh-huh. because it's just too damaging to the brain. Because you think about it, we have right. to poke your brain put a bunch of electrodes in there. Yeah. Um, and that that's not going to work for humans. And even then it wouldn't it wouldn't quite be a memory. Like it wouldn't be a a picture and a sound exactly. and a smell. So exa- that's a very important point that it's when when I say memory it was literally a very simple type of behavior, but mm-hmm. not something as complex as saying, yeah, I've implanted a memory that you were frolicking in the beach with this person that you've never met. Right. Or you murdered someone. <laughs> For hey, why are you looking at me like that? Yeah. <laughs> so that that would be impossible, at, at least today. I'm not saying that in the, in the future we understand the brain enough that we can do that, which would be very scary. I agree. In fact, most scientists I know um, wouldn't go there. Right? Okay. But I mean, hypnosis... Because before talking to you today or before even doing this very minimal amount of research that I did, <laughs> uh, I would think that that's total, you know, kind of just BS science, pop science or whatever. Um, but you're telling me that there's like very little con to it. So I just feel like why not if you are addicted to smoking cigarettes or, you know, you want to quit, why not give it a shot? Hypnotherapy. If you're suggestible, then it might work for you, right? Because, I mean, mm-hmm. hypnosis really requires two things, right? Or there's two steps to it. I mean, first you have to induce that state of hypnosis. Yeah. Which in the movie, they actually are pretty accurate about mm, it. Um, okay. Because when, you know, when the uh, hypnotist, the, the mother, mm-hmm. um, uh, kind of calls, um, uh, I can't remember his name. Chris. But Chris. When he calls him over, 
um, you know, he, he kind of says, like, do you want to hypnotize? And he's like, well, I don't know. And then she kind of laughs and says, like, oh, do you think it's such, you know, the stopwatch? And that's true. You don't need the stopwatch. Mm-hmm. But then he ba- she basically says something along the lines of what, what I'm going to do is just get you to focus um, on something, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a memory or a sound uh, or it could be visual, right? So the stopwatch historically was used because I'm going to ask you to just look at the stopwatch. Mm-hmm. And when I get you to focus enough on it. I'm going to have you in that zone where I can then give you suggestions. And that will be the second step of hypnosis, which is the suggestion part. So I first get you to focus so much so that... It just sounds like magic to me. Right. It's, and, that's, and to a lot of scientists, because a lot of scientists will say, yeah, that's a bit iffy. I don't know if you're really focusing. But mm-hmm. for what it's worth, I mean, you can think of it this way. If, if you wanted to quit smoking, right, basically you have something in your brain that's telling you this is very pleasurable. So right. just do it again. And whenever you're thinking of quitting smoking, that memory or emotion will pop up and say, don't quit. It it felt really good to just keep doing it. So if you're under hypnosis, perhaps what I can do is I can get you to focus so much on something, right? Like remember, you know, you're listening to rain and just keep listening to that or just look at my stopwatch and just don't stop looking at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps, because you're so focused, you're, when, I, when I talk about smoking, that part of your brain that says, ooh, that's pleasurable, won't be active mm-hmm. because I'm, you're concentrating you're so much on something. Mm-hmm. And then I can give you the suggestion of saying, you know, smoking is really bad, gives you bad breath, wow. and make, gives you a headache. I mean, I can, I can say any number of things, and then... I, I think I just quit smoking I right feel, now. I feel you. We've done something good at today. watch, yeah. <laughs> um, And so the idea is that after you come out of that focused moment, right, which, which people sometimes call the trance, right. um, you might not be aware necessarily of what I've said because you've been focusing so much on something, mm-hmm. but I've now put that little seed inside of your brain yeah. so that whenever you think of smoking, next time you might say, even though you've got that part of the brain that says, I like it, there's going to be that idea that says, no, but that's kind of disgusting. Mm. And maybe that's, that's all you need to nudge your behavior to change. But keep in mind, again, the caveat here is that not everyone's going to respond to that. Right. Well, I just feel like you got nothing to lose. Now, that, that, that's my new stance on hypnosis. Give it a shot. Why not? Did you get hypnotized to like hypnosis? Is that what happened? I think I just did. Yeah, I, I, so I, I don't remember why, yeah. but I love it now. <laughs> Is there a way we could do that with music? Do what? Like have people so, you know, in a trance well, uh, because of the beat. That sounds like Las Vegas. Like, you know, those big parties where there's just a DJ. He's probably, he's probably using hypnosis. There we go. Um, and people are on drugs. And then they they leave and they're like, that music was really good. Exactly. <laughs> it was his suggestion to them. <laughs> to buy my shit. Yeah. <laughs> to buy a ticket to this. Um, I don't know. Maybe we could like subliminally just, you know, tell people to uh, be kinder and that climate change is real. Just <laughs> you know, like may, slip in maybe, little suggestions. Now, yeah. I guess the, the only issue that we need to consider is um, that only works with people that are suggestible. And that was people that are open to the idea of putting ideas in their brain. Gotcha. So the people that might benefit from hypnosis and quitting smoking would be the people that want to quit smoking for reals, right? Because some people, right, right, most right. people will tell you, yeah, yeah, I want to quit. But if they're honest deep inside, they really don't. They just enjoy it. And they're just saying what people want to hear. Yeah. So those people are probably not going to benefit from any of this because mm-hmm. even though I have that idea in your brain now, you're competing with the other one that's like, this is really pleasurable and the other idea is competing with that, but I really want to smoke. Okay. So then there's no help there it's only for people that say you know what i really really want to quit and i just don't know how i mean i feel maybe. like maybe well i don't know i mean I, I i think that with addiction type stuff they know deep down when you speak to them that they should stop and that it's it's healthier for their life if they stop um i think some people be- most people believe that but i think some yeah. people still say 
and I'm actually okay with these kinds of ideas because you can say, you know what, I know what the risks are, right? But this is enjoyable for me, and this is the decision I've made. Mm-hmm. Whatever the costs there's are. There's other later. stuff out there, guys. If you're one of these people, you know, there's cookies. There's cookies. Cookies are really good. And well, cookies uh, are not the best for you either. They're not the best for you, but I'll tell you what. But in moderation. In moderation. In moderation. All things in moderation. In moderation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of cookies, I was going to crack cocaine. You can't really. You can't really do moderation with crack cocaine. No, it, fair point. Historically, fair point of it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. If we could, then cocaine might be safe. Yeah, but exactly. The, the thing is that cocaine actually hijacks the part of the brain that prevents you from using moderation. Oh my God! So it is. It's, it's the perfect crime. <laughs> exactly. Cocaine, the yeah. perfect crime. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's why we don't really recommend that you do cocaine in moderation or in any kind of uh, amount because it's it, mm-hmm. it would get you in trouble most right. people would, would get in trouble right. what are are there other things that hijack the brain in some ways that Ye- sounds cool yeah so anything that's addictive mm-hmm. will hijack this it's a pleasure circuit that we have in the brain okay. um, is that the nucleus of humans oh so you it, nucleus i remember that oh come uh, yeah okay. abs- come well that's part of the circuit absolutely mm. Well, um, glad to know you know. I used to know some stuff. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you that's, a, that's impressive. Things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's part of the circuit. And so this is the circuit that keeps our brain, keeps our activities focused on the things that we need for survival. Okay. So why do we enjoy eating? Well, because if you didn't, you wouldn't eat. If you think about it, eating is kind of hard because you have to go get food and that requires some effort, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have to spend time eating. So if you're very busy and you've got things that you want to do, you might ignore eating because it's just troublesome mm-hmm. so we're addicted to it so our brain says no you find this pleasurable so that you're going to eat every day because if you don't you starve yeah you know why want to do this why is sex addictive in a good way well mm-hmm. because if people don't have sex we don't have babies and the human species disappears yeah um and, and now sex, we have too many babies and now we have too many babies because our brain is wanting to do that right because you'd argue having sex is tricky business because you just don't have sex normally in in minutes, you have to find a willing partner and you have to find oh, the right time. Such a pain. So yeah. it can get complicated, right? So so our brain addicts us to that. So all drugs of addiction in one way or another yeah. hijack that same system. And so your brain essentially says, it's like, look, this felt really good, whether it's cocaine or heroin or meth, whatever or it is. Sugar, right? Isn't the big one sugar? Sugar, well, because sugar is part of food, right? So yes. and, and sugar has a lot of energy content. And so our brain... It's addicted to that because it's saying, look, that's high quality food. Yeah, we're predisposed to yeah. associate that with pleasure. That flavor yeah. with, yeah. So, do you think we're overdoing it though? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and the reason we're overdoing it is because our brain evolved in a world where we didn't have a lot of food. Mm-hmm. And so, and now there's capitalism. So you can have <laughs> as food, as you or you can have stuff yeah. that feels like food that's not food. <laughs> right. Well, all the time. Or, yeah. or it's food, but it's just too much of a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, when you think about sugar, our ancestors, where where do you come across sugar? Things fruit. like fruit. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you're walking around and you find a tree that's got a loaded with fruit. Um, so our brains basically said, you know, pig out, eat as much as you can because mm-hmm. you might not eat for the next week. So you right. might as well load up with as much energy as you can so you don't starve. And you'll be regular. Great point. Never thought about it that way. <laughs> I might <laughs> actually tell poop. my students that that's an advantage. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's one thing. And so what happens in modern times is now sugar you can get at the supermarket and you can get too much sugar. Oh, yeah. And your brain doesn't know that you're not going to starve, at least most people in most countries. When are um, we going to figure that out? Well, our, we, we evolve really slowly, you know. Yeah. Too slowly. We're, our brains are still based on how Absolutely. our society was like 10,000 years ago. Yeah, and, right. and, and food became plentiful in the last perhaps 50 or so years. It's very, you know, it's, it's a new thing. Mm-hmm. So our brain is not going to adapt for thousands of years. So what we can do is, is 
teach people, right? That, yeah. That's part of what I do at UCLA is to try to talk to my students and say, if you know what the limits of your body are, then you could perhaps make informed decisions because we all like sugar. I like sugar. Yeah. You know, but I don't tell my students not to eat donuts. What I tell them is in moderation. If you eat one donut a day, yeah. um, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing in the donut that's inherently poisonous. What you don't want to do is eat 12 donuts a day because then that's way too much sugar, way too much fat. Yeah. And that's bad for you. Yeah. I would say one donut a day is too much, but I'm not a scientist. I have to say one donut a day is too much because I'm 37 years old and no longer have a metabolism. Yeah. Really? Huh. Yeah. So I won't tell you how old I am. Like, if, you, if you have no metabolism, then I'm I'm gonna die tomorrow. Well, I think you know I I, I was just mine was on a steep curve. Like I had it, and then one day I didn't have it no more. You know, <laughs> yeah, some I people's I think it's more gradual. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I do notice a difference when I was younger. I mm-hmm. mean, where I could eat twelve donuts and it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right now, if I were to eat twelve donuts, I'll I'll know the following week. Yeah, but, I think there's also like a psychological regret. That seeps in for me after I eat something crappy, even if I haven't, you know, even if I've been eating like pretty good the last yeah, few days. But I, I, then I, I have fast food. I blame or... society for that because what's oh, okay. happened is we we try to blame something, right? And so yeah. we say, you know, eating too much sugar is bad, it causes obesity, it causes diabetes. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, uh, but it's not the sugar that's bad; it's the amount that you're eating. Right. So we've demonized things like donuts and ice cream, but. They're not bad. There's, there's nothing poisonous in them. They're, they've got sugar, right. yes. It's just how much. It's how much. Yeah, so how if you often. pace yourself and you say, you know, don't have ice cream every day, but if you have it occasionally, enjoy it without the regret. But yeah, most people enjoy it and then they say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Uh, but then you're missing out on the good things in life. I mean, sugar is good. Sugar is one okay. of the molecules that keeps us alive. We just need to know that. Yeah. Um, and then just act accordingly. So mm-hmm. I, I'm really against people that say, you know, donuts are all bad. Too many donuts are bad. Right. The occasional donut. Enjoy it. Okay. Go out and get a donut, guys. But yeah. Hey, let's start a band called The Occasional Donuts. Occasional Donuts. Yeah, that's good. good. And we can yeah. subliminally put in <laughs> suggestions, right? Yeah. Right. All there suggestions you go. are Dr. Raphael, right? So we're going <laughs> to yeah. put them. So you, yeah. So yep. you could have your group and, and on the side. the. No, you're, you're in the group, too. Okay, so I'll, I guess I'll, I'll make the donuts and I'll sell them. After oh, you, donuts? After you put Wait, that, that idea in their brain. We're going to have music and donuts? Yeah. People are going to come to these concerts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why did nobody think of this? Like, why, why am I buying a donut after the concert? Oh, um, we've had a lot of stupid projects up until now. Right. <laughs> this, this is, is good. good. This is real good. <laughs> well, I'm not sure it's too good, but anyway, I'm, I'm game regardless. <laughs> You'll get better. I feel like as a scientist, you will make better and better donuts as we do shows. And sure. people only uh-huh. adjo- enjoy them occasionally. That's right. You know? You won't sell them uh, multiple donuts. You right. can buy only one. one. Yeah, and the concerts are only going to be occasional concerts. That's right. right. Occasional concerts. You better come see us <laughs> right. because we're not playing all the time. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, that's nice. Okay, we're going to be right back with a game and a lot more science, so stay with us. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. Um, okay, I wanted to talk about the left brain, right brain thing. Yeah. Uh, some people have... Uh, thoughts on that and I wanted to get yours so like what can tell us the difference I guess yeah I mean it is so basically what you're talking is about is what we refer to as laterality which means that uh, there are different things that both sides of the brain will do Mm -hmm. right perhaps the most obvious one uh, is language right so in in most people the parts of the brain that allow you to speak are on the left side okay and some people it's on the right side and we actually don't know 
well, who's who. Is that and dependent on anything or just? Probably. We just don't know what yet. Wow. Um, but it probably makes no difference at all. Meaning we, we, don't, we really can't tell from talking to people like, oh, yeah, your language centers are on the right side because you're saying weird stuff. It's not like that. Okay. Um, so we can't tell, actually. Um, so that's what we call lateral, laterality. So, okay. you know, language, for example, is on one side. We also know that the left side is a little bit better doing things that require counting numbers, that kind of thing. Okay. The right side tends to be more about space and spatial organization, like knowing shapes of things or where things are. Uh, that's about it. Um, you know, now people kind of exaggerate with that and they say, oh, I'm, I'm a right brain person because I'm, I'm artistic or I'm, I'm creative. Right. Yes, I've heard this. You know, neuroscientists will say, well, everyone is creative in one way or another. We all have a right side of the brain. Yes. It's just a question of whether or not you like that kind of stuff, right? Some creative people just like being creative. I think other people perhaps don't enjoy it as much. Great. But it doesn't mean they're not creative in one way or another. I love um, that. I love that you said that because there, I've, there's so many times that I've heard people in my life say like, I'm not a creative person. I'm not creative. I just have to, and it's like, I've always felt that everybody is creative in one way or another. It just yeah. depends on what you choose to do with your time. Yeah. So, so that's sort of the issue with the brain, but keep in mind, no one can really be healthy with just one side of the brain. Yeah. So if you were to say like, I'm not creative, so could I just shut down the right side of my brain? Mm -hmm. No, because it does a lot of things for you that'll keep you healthy. Yeah. Um, I mean, in fact, if you remove half of your brain, half of your body becomes paralyzed. Wow. Um, so we, we, everyone needs both sides of the brain, despite the fact that it does do slightly different things, both sides, yeah, but it's to create you, your experience, right? Because okay. we are, in the end, are the collective um, exercise or the, or the collective activity of all of our brain. Yeah. Uh, which will eventually, when we get to it, um, we'll discuss of whether or not it's possible to implant someone's personality in another body. Ooh, Go I back to this. the movie. Yes. Um, I wish I could tell you it was possible, but we believe currently that your essence mm -hmm. is actually everywhere in your brain. So there's no one part of the brain that contains you so that, that you I can download. Just, yeah, that I can just scoop up mm -hmm. and just put in someone else's brain and then say, I've just transferred all of you into a new body. Yeah. No, there's no part of the brain like that. What if you put the whole brain in? All right. So talking. technically it's impossible, but if we I hope it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, in part because we have to sever things like the spinal cord and right. that won't heal. So person will be paralyzed forever. But if we suspend disbelief and we say, OK, let's say that we fix that issue and yeah. we manage to get things to regrow and you can move again. Yeah, which we will. Uh, I would argue that, yes, theoretically, then the personality would transfer because that brain has a particular set of wiring. Right. The mm -hmm. connections are unique. Um, and that's what cr has, creates your, your experience, your, your essence, your personality. Uh, but as I was coming here, I was thinking about this more. It's, it's an interesting question, but I don't usually think about it. Mm -hmm. But when somebody makes me think about it, like you guys, <laughs> then um, I'll think about it. And I realize that there's also evidence that suggests that um, our brain, in large part, acts because of what it experiences through the body. Mm, so if you have a different body. So if you have a different body, wow. then your personality will inherently change. So your friends probably won't recognize it. They'll say like, yeah, you've got the essence of who you were, but mm -hmm. you're saying and behaving, you're saying things and behaving in ways that you never did before. Your body's different. Because so it, it all develops together. Exactly. And so there's wow. plenty of evidence. Um, so in, in fact, Antonio Damasio, which is now at USC, um, he was at University of Iowa, I believe, uh, for decades. He came to USC maybe 10 years ago. Um, he's one of these proponents, and he's, he's given plenty of evidence that, indeed, the brain requires the body. So you, you can't separate the two. And if you change the body, then obviously the inputs that go into the brain 
right. um, will change and therefore your brain will behave differently so that you'll end up being a different person. Hmm. Perhaps you'll keep the essence of the original owner of right. the brain, but you'll be different. Um, and I think, and again, we don't know this. This is all hypothetical because we've never done it. Mm-hmm. But I would hypothesize that that person would be odd, right? It, in, in, and by odd, I don't mean that they would not be a normal human. They just wouldn't be the person you think that you're dealing with. Gotcha. This one time I tried to take a hard drive out of one computer and put it in another computer. Didn't work. Didn't, Didn't work. work. <laughs> Didn't work. <laughs> right. that, that copy of Windows was locked to that CPU. Damn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if you need Windows... <laughs> yeah. I know a guy. I can say his name. Right. It rhymes with Beethan. He can get you. Yeah. Whatever and we never had. heard this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll edit this out. Um, okay, so I want to play a game, uh, if it's all right with you, uh, Michael. I like games. Great. Um, so this game I'm calling Brain Lobe Flows. Brain Lobe Flows. Okay. And... I thought it would be a fun way for us to learn about the lobes of the brain. Okay. So uh, we'll we'll discuss what e- each one is, and then maybe you can sum it up for us in a in a beautiful uh, poetic, rhythmic verse. A homely rap. Okay, got it. Yeah, humbly. <laughs> he was just trying to be educated. <laughs> I'm. I'm uh, and you know, feel free to take it anywhere you want. Hon- sure. Obviously, uh, honestly, if it's unrelated to the <laughs> that's also totally fine. Yeah, no, I I, I just interject a little bit because I, yep. I cheated and I looked at your list and oh. so you're talking about brain lobes. Those are actually, some of those I think are lobes that you're going to mention. Some of them are just brain regions, but they're technically oh, we wouldn't call shit. them lobes. Like, like in the frontal lobe, there's different. Yeah, so things like frontal lobe or the, or, the, yeah. you know, or the parietal lobe. I think you're going to mention other regions that are very interesting. Well, um, maybe I won't mention any of them at all. Uh, <laughs> what? How many lobes are there? Let's start there. So, I mean, well, we'll, we'll just say that we have um, four major lobes, right? Oh, we've, this is perfect. So we've got the frontal lobe, we've got the parietal lobe, temporal lobe, and occipital lobe. Now, of Great. course, hardcore scientists will say, well, yeah, but that's oversimplified. You can divide those into 100 tinier lobes. Sub-lobes. But in essence, we, we call lobes sort of the parts that are the surface of the brain. Okay. Uh, whereas you're going to mention things that are deeper, mm-hmm. critically important, uh, because without those deeper structures, we wouldn't be here having this discussion. But you're oh. going to say hippocampus, aren't you? <laughs> it's not on there, but <laughs> hypothalamus is kind yeah. of uh, similar. It's, it's close. Sounds similar. <laughs> Sounds similar um, to my stupid brain. Um, well, let's, ju- let's just do the lobes then. I think that's better. And there's only four of them, which is nice. Okay. So if you want, so we can start um, in no particular order, but... Well, frontal lobe, I feel like, should be the start. Sure, if you want to go frontal lobe. So, yeah, what um, does that do? Frontal lobe, I can summarize it into two main functions. Great. Uh, the frontal lobe is the part of the brain that contains the cells that will allow your body to move, uh-huh. what we call voluntary movement, which means when you want to move, when you say, I want to get out of this chair, uh, that's the part of the brain that will say, you know, yeah, I give you permission to get out of the chair. Okay. And the front part of that, which we call the prefrontal lobe, which you the mentioned a moment cortex. ago, um, yeah. it's actually a part of the brain that allows you to make abstract predictions into the future, right? So this is the part of the brain that allows you to plan ahead. It allows you to say, well, if I go to college for four years, I'm going to get a degree in four years. Okay. It's tricky to do if you don't have a brain that allows you to think that far ahead. And that's a a big distinguishing... brain part between us and other animals too, right? Yeah. It's, it's part of how we part of how we understand time, right? And right. and how other animals aren't conscious of that. Yeah, or, or we're not we, yeah, we're not sure how conscious mm-hmm. they are. But yeah, I, I kind of joke with my students that when when you look at animals, mm-hmm. uh, we're 
perhaps the ugliest animal in nature because of our huge forehead. Mm-hmm. Um, most animals don't have such a big forehead because that's exactly where the prefrontal cortex is. It's right behind gotcha. your forehead. So we've got a big forehead because we have a big prefrontal cortex, which okay. is probably what makes humans unique in their ability to think into the future and make these abstract plans. Because if you think about it, we might say, I'm going to go to college for four years and get a degree, but we don't really know what's going to happen in four years. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yet we still manage to focus enough mm-hmm. to get that degree. I mean, wow. you got your degree in psychology and then you you know, made a 180 in your career. You yeah. probably didn't know that when you were in college. Yeah, when I wasted all that money. I had no idea. I, yeah, I wouldn't say it's wasted. Because, you, hey, you, you know what the nucleus accumbens is. That was impressive. That's true. So it, it was worth something. Um, Not that much. <laughs> Not that much, I'm telling you. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, Mike, you want to f- uh, summarize that for us? Um, you want a beat? You want me to play some yeah, you can, yeah, let's do a beat. I'll, I'll play some music. Oh, that's great. You like it? Yeah. Yeah. If you're a human, part of you, what you do best is make plans. Like the one guy and one flew over the cuckoo's nest when he was, he got his frontal lobe removed and he, he could no longer talk, speak, or move. That's how he did. Then he had to escape. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try the next one. yeah, I like that, that, that yeah, melody. That. That was yeah, good. You record all four lobes because we actually do teach about the lobes to school children mm-hmm. in LA. Okay. Um, I might want to talk to you, and, right. you know, and say, can I actually get those? We can have all that and, for free. Yeah. <laughs> and we can teach the kids about the lobes with a little bit of rap. Right. Love um, it. Love it. Okay. So what's our next lobe? So we can talk about the parietal lobe, which is basically the top of your head. Okay. Um, that's the part of the brain that senses your body. So all those receptors on your skin that feel whether you're touching something, whether it's cold or hot or where you are in space, okay. that's the part of the brain that kind of maps you in three-dimensional space. Very important. Um, so it's, yeah, kind of important. Yeah, you know, I'd pe- say so. People that have damage in that part of the brain have a very hard time knowing that their body even exists. I feel like I kind of have damage in that part of the brain. Sometimes I <laughs> will touch like something coming out of the oven, even with like a little towel or like a hand towel. And I'll start taking it out, but then I'll realize that it's really hot. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It takes a second. Yeah, it takes yeah. a second. Yeah. I would probably argue that's your frontal cortex because you should oh. have learned before that that, <laughs> that was that was a bad idea. <laughs> so I would argue yeah. that perhaps you just, you know, the, the ability to plan ahead and okay. say, yeah, I should have thought about this. Yeah, I should have thought about yeah. that. That's true. But hey, I'm not I should ju- have a big mitten. But I'm not judging. So. Oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, that's is that all it does? Yeah, that's. Oh, I guess I'm right. That's its really main function. Okay. You want that same thing? Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Take two. Open mic eagle. Yeah, we got one brain, we divided it though. The one that helps you understand your body's the parietal lobe. Yeah, like when I'm at home playing Overwatch or when Ethan tries to know whether something's cold or hot. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Great, I love that. That one's sweet. Um, all right, hit us with the next one. Um, we have the occipital lobe, the back of your of your brain. Okay, um, I got a good that, guess on this one. Yeah, this because this one's easy actually. This yeah. is the part of the brain that actually manages all your vision. So what you see. Uh, keeping in mind that what we see is complicated. It's not just colors. It's also depth. It's also movement. It's also uh, identifying what you're seeing. Um, yeah. That's all part of that back part of your brain, the occipital lobe. Okay. It's all vision. It's all what you see. Something new? No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. 
Yeah, I'm not critical. I'm not criminal. Information, sometimes you got visual. And so the lobe you need is your occipital. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Fantastic. A++. Plus plus. Uh, I mean, you should be the one giving us grades, probably. I, please don't grade oh, me. No. <laughs> this, is, this is great. I mean, there's this fusion of science and creativity. As I said, I, we might talk. I mean, at some point, we'll invite you to one of the schools and right. say, here, we're going to learn science. I'll go there and fail in front of your students. <laughs> no, That'd be awesome. Psychology background is coming to play. Finally. Yeah, you can actually not waste your... 15 years yeah. left. Finally! Finally! Yeah. Make my mom proud. Yeah, yeah. you're going to fill up, uh, I was going to say arenas, but really it's uh, for classrooms. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, what is that called? Like a... Like a, a lecture hall? Yeah, a lecture mm-hmm. hall. Yeah, or like the... the um, yeah, what do you call it? Like the... Where they do sports in school. Like, now I can't... Gymnasium. There you go, gyms, yeah. I know parts of schools. Yeah. Got it. What's that called where everybody eats? You know what I'm talking about? The yeah. food room. Yeah. The cafeteria. <laughs> the one you get wrong. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. The food room. The food room. What would I do without you? Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, last lobe. Last lobe. That would yes. be the temporal lobe, which is mm-hmm. behind your ears. Temporal um, lobe. Oh, that's where, yeah, your temples. Your temples. Right? Exactly. Okay, that so um, that does two things that we can summarize. One of them is it has the parts of the brain that allow you to hear. So to interpret what you're listening to, Great well, for example, this that we're doing right it's now. Beautiful, uh, unbelievable music. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, you have, you have to believe in that. I'm, uh, I'm planning ahead, frontal lobe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what else? And, the, and yeah. the other thing is, because you did mention it, is the uh, hippocampus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the hippocampus is in the is deeper in the temporal lobe, okay. and that's uh, what we like to call sort of the gateway to memory. So it's not the hard drive, so it's not where the memories are stored, mm-hmm. but it's the part of the brain that allows you to remember something. So it's the gateway, so where the brain says, this is important enough that you probably want to remember it. Okay, so let me not. ask you a question about that then. And uh, Mike, you tell me if this is uh, something that you fear, because this is a fear of mine that has to do with marijuana. I have learned recently uh, through some research that it damages this part of your brain, hippocampus. I, I would be cautious with what you say. There, there is evidence that suggests that it does interfere with your memory. Okay. So, it's, um, in fact, to the point that I would argue that if you want to smoke marijuana, you probably shouldn't do it while you're studying because then it makes it harder to remember things. Okay, makes sense. But it's a little bit harder to argue that it causes permanent damage. Um, mm. We don't have a lot of evidence in part because it's it's been illegal, so right. it's hard to do research with this. But... Um, so we don't know yet. So perhaps long-term use of marijuana, but that would be, I don't know, years of use, well, might uh, cause... I know some people that have long-term use. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I think we all do. But um, okay. so perhaps there could be long-term effects to memory. Um, but okay. whether it's physically causing damage is a little bit harder to, to say. Okay. Uh, but we do know that it, it affects memory while you're on, on, on pot. So that makes sense. what I would argue is for anyone listening is if you want to study... Yeah. Uh, just don't do it while you're under the influence of, of marijuana because it's going to make it harder for you to learn stuff and to gotcha. memorize stuff. Uh-huh. Mike, do you... Smoke weed, yes. Uh, do you, uh... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if you perform while smoking weed because you... I mean, not while smoking weed, obviously, but like while high. Yeah. Because as opposed to some other performers... You're remembering a lot. There's uh, so many lyrics that are coming you out. You know what's funny, though? When I do perform high... Yeah. Because most of what I perform at this point is like rote memorization. Yeah, and, and nothing, yeah, I don't want to interrupt. I'll, I'll interject in a moment. Okay. But um, when I am high, th- when I'm performing, the words feel new. Whoa. Yeah. I, and I don't know exactly why that is. But like it it's did, still, like new as in like like you recently wrote it? You you remember, I, I'll remember what it felt like to write them and say, like, oh, like okay. I'm saying them 
for the first time again. Wow. So you're eliciting that initial memory. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, That's cool. Yeah. All I was going to say is that keep in mind that when I say it's bad for memory, um, mm-hmm. it doesn't affect the recall. So if you know something that you've learned before, mm-hmm. then marijuana won't affect that. So you can still recall. So things like right, right. You know, knowing your lyrics. Right. So it's that, that I've committed to yeah, memory. That, that's that already you know. kind of safe. It's the new stuff. So right. if you're saying gotcha. you want to learn new lyrics, if yeah. you're high, then you're just making it harder. It's not that's impossible. Why, that's though. why I can't read high. Because I end up reading the same sentence yes. over and over again. Because by the time I'm at the end of the sentence, I've forgotten what's at the yeah. beginning. I right. think it's just easier to be like distracted mm-hmm. while high. Or like I'll be thinking about something else while reading if I'm high. Or like mm. performing, I can I can still do it and it's fine. But I will be thinking about something and kind of get lost, and yep. that might cause me to mess up. Yeah. You know. Yep. Um, but anyways, temporal lobe. Uh, hearing and memory and memory, which yeah. is the main thing I'm worried about as far as marijuana is like remembering like <laughs> stuff from my life. You know, mm-hmm. this happened when I was 11, and yeah, someone's trying to remind me, and I can't remember. Right? No, that that there's no real strong evidence that you you can destroy old memories. It's more about forming new ones that that's an issue. But if it's already in your brain, mm. it'll stay there. Um, again, we still have to do more research. Now that it's legal here in California, perhaps we can now really do experiments where we can look at. Uh, people long term and see when you do marijuana how much so do you do what does that mean also because you're saying being high while studying but what if you're just you know high experiencing an event hang out with friends whatever and then you try and remember that later that makes it more difficult probably because it's a new experience right that experience has to go into your brain okay and because it's new if you're very high then perhaps your brain just won't incorporate that it. yeah it won't incorporate that memory mm-hmm. so perhaps after the high you might kind of look back and say I don't really remember mm-hmm. what we talked about or I might not remember what we did gotcha. um, that would be the issue um, okay yeah you ready yeah Temporal, let's last do it temporal mm-hmm. lobe <laughs> keep it lyrical yeah now we're gonna talk about temporal but yeah I can rap like a weirdo. We're counting brain lobes. What doesn't count is an earlobe that doesn't even go with it. I rap terrific, and I rap really cool, so you might miss it. It's October. Next month, I think it's November. I smoke a little weed, so maybe I don't remember. Oh, yeah, I keep it lyrical, and if you're trying to hypnotize somebody, then you start to get subliminal, but that's not where we're at. We're right next to the ears and the temple for the lobe that we call the temporal. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we... That one is beautiful. You, you do have uh, potential, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you do have potential. Oh, man. That was great. Um, and speaking of uh, the rapping, freestyling here, I wanted to mention that in 2012, mm-hmm. Open Mike Eagle co-authored and participated in a study conducted by the National Institute of Health that observed the locations of increased brain activity during freestyle rapping. Yes. What was that like? Weird. <laughs> what happened there? I had to rap in an MRI machine for a really long time. In an MRI machine? Mm-hmm. Like laying down? FMRI, yeah. Laying the down. the way to get those live images, right? Because you want to see how the brain is working in real time. So. Hours. Hours? And you got to be really yeah. still. Yeah, which yeah. was killing me. Because as yeah. you see, I'm here like bobbing my head to of keep course. the beat. Trying to be perfectly still in rhyme yeah. was like really difficult. Did they play like on speakers? Like yeah, they had. we had this little earphone where they were feeding. But they did because they wanted all, you know, to cancel out any uh, control control any factors so they had with B without B you know memorized oh, okay. rap versus freestyle like there were all these different conditions okay yeah and first of all did anything come out that you were like oh that was really cool I, well, I initially really loved that part at the time um, I was more familiar with the jargon and they w- what they were trying to study is the state of the uh, of 
brain activity when it's in the improvisational state or they call it the flow state. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so they did the same. Um, they were conducting the same research with like jazz musicians. They'd have this little weird keyboard they could take into the fMRI. Yeah. And, um, you got to rig it so that you can actually do exactly. stuff in the that's awesome. MRI machine. Yeah, yeah that's fun. <laughs> yeah. And so I can't. I'm, they, they had identified which parts became active and which parts were shut down during that state, but I can't remember exactly which yeah. ones. They were high. <laughs> no. <laughs> that would be a confound, I believe. Yeah. No, even I don't remember. I, I do remember the study. I didn't know you were part of it, the study that... There were a couple, I think. Um, I think around the same time. It, it's couple. an interesting question that we have is how can you be uh, functionally uh, original and come up with, mm -hmm. um, you know, with new things, but, but within a framework? In other words, when you improvise... It's not like you're saying crazy things that make no sense. It still makes sense, right? right. Whether it's keeping a beat, whether mm -hmm. it's if you're playing an instrument. How can that happen in the brain when you're not really just repeating this, this um, you know, or whatever you want to call it, like memory, right? Mm -hmm. That you say, well, I've memorized how to move my fingers, and so this is what I'm going to play. Yeah. Improvisation is, no, I, I don't know what's going to flow out of me, but whatever flows will make sense. Mm -hmm. Right. That, make it make sense. Yeah, with that, we don't know how it happens. So, yeah, we wanted to see what part of the brain mm -hmm. gives you that control of mm -hmm. creativity um, without necessarily the, the, the rigors of saying, no, you, you can only move your fingers this way because otherwise a new sound comes, which is what you want right. in improvisation. You, you don't want to sound like you did yesterday. You want to do something slightly different. Yes. You want to you win Grammys with your temporal lobe uh, <laughs> uh, rap. <laughs> um, okay, let's just really quickly here to end, talk about uh, a, a few things. So microdosing LSD. Do you know about this? I do know. I've done it once. You've done it once. Mm -hmm. How did that go? It was pretty cool. It was my first uh, good experience with LSD. It was okay. when I microdosed. It was it was fun. I was uh, I was hosting a giant festival. <laughs> it wasn't giant. It was at the shrine. So it was like three thousand people or whatever. Okay. It was time of my fucking life. That's <laughs> great. great. Yeah, it was awesome. Why have you not? Uh, been a repetitive microdoser because once I had that microdose experience, I was like, oh, maybe, um, maybe I like doing LSD. And every time I've done it, done, I'm like, no, this sucks. Like, <laughs> so I, I, you know, I'll just, I'll just smoke weed. Like, I don't need yeah. to microdose the thing I don't like. A real dose of, <laughs> I'll just do other drugs that I like. Okay, I've never done LSD. I think it scares me mm -hmm. to be like that messed up. Well, I don't want to say messed up, but like that affected for so long yeah I know it, it, it is a long while, time and yeah. i feel like well if i'm not gonna have, if i'm gonna have a bad time i'd rather right. be over soon yeah um so and but i've heard microdosing is like a very popular thing now and people are doing it in like silicon valley and all these like entrepreneur types and uh and so i've never done it and uh wanted to get your guys thoughts yeah i mean there that yeah, i think you've touched upon probably its main issue which is you don't know what trip you're gonna gonna have right. um and not everyone trips well Right. Um, and then there's very little we can do once you're tripping, right? There's really nothing yeah. you can do other than wait it out. Wait until your body flushes yeah. out the chemicals. But in the, but in the micro dose, it's not like, I don't know, from what I've heard, it's not very intense. So. Right, but that's the idea. It's not intense, but if you're still having a bad trip, it's, it's a not intense bad trip. That right, you, you okay. Know, that you just can't get rid of for a few hours. Interesting. Um, but, you know, what we can say with, with LSD is it does change your perceptions, right? It alters your brain in a way where... You see things and you hear things and you interpret things a little bit differently, hmm. which people will tout and say, well, that's great for creativity because, you know, perhaps you need to see things a little bit differently so that you can create that. No one's seen it before. Well, because no one's or not many people are on LSD. So you basically kind of need to tweak the circuits in the brain okay. to do that. Uh, now, that's sort of the positive side of this. Again, the negative side is, again, long-term effects of doing this. We don't really know. Okay. There are plenty of cases of people that 
will say that their life has been changed mm -hmm. because of use of LSD, and um, including in science. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if this is to be believed, and I don't know whether it's uh, a myth or not, but there's one scientist in particular that I remember, Kerry Mullis, who um, created uh, one of the most important uh, techniques in molecular biology that we know of called PCR. And um, according to lore, um, he was high on, I think it might have been LSD, okay. when he came up with this, because it's the kind of technique that you have to visualize in mm -hmm. your head, but it's tricky, it's, it's abstract, and so perhaps it was the drug that kind of made it possible for him to see it and then do the experiments and actually show that it works. Hmm. But again, I, I don't know whether, I've never met Kerry Mullis myself, so I don't know whether that's actually true, okay. but that's what we hear um, you know, in, in, in hushed tones. Um, okay. I got a question for you. Is there um, a recognized part of the brain that regulates the body's temperature or perception of temperature? So temperature is regulated by the uh, hypothalamus, which you were going to mention initially. It was one of the that's correct. Um, one of the lobes. <laughs> um, so so there, there is the brain does regulate body temperature. Okay. Now, yeah, the perception of that. Remember the, temp, the it's not temporal. The parietal lobe mm -hmm. is that part of the brain that kind of interprets what you feel. So yeah, your brain can regulate how much temperature you produce, um, but then how you interpret that that requires another part of the brain. But yeah, it's, mm. it's in a sense. To some extent, a little bit subjective. See, the last time I took acid and I decided I really didn't like it, hours and hours of my body feeling hot and cold at the same time. Whoa. And it was driving me crazy. Like, I felt cold but sweaty. Like, I felt... Like when you had fever? I just felt like I had a personal humidity <laughs> that I was just taking around with me wherever I went. And, and, I, and, and my it felt like my body didn't couldn't regulate and, it properly. And, and, and in mm -hmm. fact, that's the issue with LSD is the fact that it'll change your perception of things mm -hmm. in ways that are not predictable, mm -hmm. right? So it might be good because you've now seen the world in a different way. So you can create new music, mm -hmm. perhaps. But at the same time, it can cause your brain to think that you're feeling the world differently, but in a way that you just dislike. Right. Exactly. Um, so that's okay. the downside of LSD. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't argue that we should do it or not do it. I mean, listeners will have to make their own decisions. Okay. Um, there's always a risk of taking chemicals that affect the brain, mm. yeah. right? Especially when we don't have a lot of research that can tell us what really happens at what doses, that long-term cool. use, if, do, if you do it once versus if you do it, you know, if you microdose regularly. Right. It's hard to know long-term whether we're doing something to the brain that alters it in a way that can't, you know, you, you can't go back to what you were. So if it changes it in a way that now ch changes you forever, right? Well, we don't know and that. And part of the reason you can't do research is because of Schedule 1, right? Absolutely. Like, it, and, is there a good reason for a drug for you not to be able to do research on it? Like, As a scientist, I would tell you no. Right. That's, um, that's, we should be able to do science, do right. research, so that we can actually tell people what's exactly. wrong or not with these things. Exactly. But because it's Schedule 1, like you mentioned, it makes it very difficult for us to get our hands on these drugs. Not impossible. But we actually have to talk to the DA and we have to get permission and then we get very small amounts and we have to keep a track, a record of how much we've used and we get audited all the time to make sure that we didn't sell it in the street. Mm -hmm. So it gets so difficult that doing the research becomes for many people just too just complicated. too tedious. Yeah, it's too tedious and so we just don't go there, right? So silly. Um, yeah, it's like if there's crazy. a part of it that could help people. You know, yeah, well, as a scientist, it. I would say, yeah, there's no harm in studying it. And if we discover right. that it's really bad, at least you'd be what? able to know. Right. We know. Yeah. And so so even if went, it was harmful, you'd understand the harm. And now we don't even understand. Yeah. Right. You know? Thanks a lot, and, government. And so, <laughs> and so what we have is a lot of people using, and mm -hmm. we can't really tell them yes, no, I don't know. It's, so we 
basically tell people just be cautious mm -hmm. yeah. because some Moderation. of these things, I mean, some of them are really bad for you. We know that, right? Yeah. Yeah, heroin is, mm -hmm. is bad in part because it makes you stop breathing, right? Or opioids in general, not just heroin. Mm -hmm. So that can kill you very quickly. So clearly that's bad. Yeah, that sounds bad. Um, but other drugs, you know, for example, marijuana. Well, what little evidence we have is, well, there's no dose of marijuana that we know is lethal. Mm -hmm. So you can smoke all you want. Now, you might get very paranoid if you really smoke a lot of this stuff, mm -hmm. but that won't kill you, right? So not all drugs are equivalent, right? right? And marijuana, speaking of schedules, is also Schedule 1. Is still? Um, I'm assuming that with California, it won't, but with the federal government, Oh, with right? the federal government, it's still Schedule 1. Yeah, and it's Schedule 1, which is basically one of those super dangerous drugs like cocaine and heroin. Right. But they're not comparable. At least yeah. scientifically, I can't. I wouldn't be able to tell you that marijuana is as bad as heroin. Um, they're not. They're different drugs. They affect the brain differently. Yeah. And I'm not, again, I'll let the listeners decide whether they, what drugs they want to try. But I agree with you. Um, if we knew what each drug did, because we were allowed to do the research, we might be able just to tell people, hey, here it is. This mm -hmm. is what happens short term, long term. If you decide you want to do this, you now know the risks. Mm -hmm. So it's up to you to make the decision. On a positive note, is there, uh, are there things that you would recommend people to people that could uh, improve their brain functionality? Um, that's a question I get from a lot of my students, and it's hard to answer, um, in part because we're just doing that research. Um, let me show, uh, share with you at least what we do know. Uh, we do know that using the brain, and by that I mean being creative, so being surrounded by a lot of different stimuli, mm -hmm. um, allows your brain to make more connections, and that probably strengthens the brain. Um, there's some evidence that suggests that uh, being creative, and by being creative, it means, yeah, creating stuff, but also just doing things like crossword puzzles um, or playing certain video games, which because you have to think a lot about how to solve a particular problem. Okay. Um, actually, games are healthy? He said that? Yeah. <laughs> to, to, yeah. Well, I'll let the listener decide how much I said, but fair. I mean, take what out else? my mobile gaming device. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Open Mic has a bag specifically for, what is that? Nintendo, Nintendo Switch. Yeah. 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 And, and so using your brain, essentially, makes it a little bit stronger. Okay. Uh, so yes, doing puzzles and this kind of thing yeah. is probably good for you and it might actually protect a little bit against diseases like Alzheimer's. Great. Um, I mean, I'm not saying it prevents Alzheimer's, but it, it might help slow it down later on if you were to get Alzheimer's. Okay. Uh, what I find interesting um, is that there are companies out there that will charge you to say, if you played the little games I designed, mm -hmm. um, and I think the listeners will know which companies these are, yep. um, then I'm boosting your brain. I'm making it stronger. And I, yes. all I would recommend is say, well, any puzzle, any game mm. will work. You, there's nothing magical about the ones they've designed. Yeah. Um, I even, think there's also like that placebo effect, right? When they, you know, because a lot of these games, they're, it, that's what it's all about. Right. You know, uh, how much it's improving your brain and it gives you a score exactly. each time. Like, you know, you know, 90% exactly. more than you And did. I would say that <laughs> using your brain is doing anything, but especially if it's creative, and that was challenging is what I mean by creative because ah. creativity is challenging because mm -hmm. you're, you're always creating something new that hasn't been done before, and that's tricky. Yeah. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that probably works to make more brain connections. Great. Um, there's evidence in animals that that's the case. Um, oh. In humans, it's harder to do the experiments in humans, but we believe that probably in humans as well. I had a professor once tell me to improve brain functionality to, on purpose, learn something that you never thought you would learn about yeah. to just dive deep into, uh, you know, learn German for no reason right. and learn, you know, uh, physics or learn yeah. how to like fix a car, even though you never th had right. an interest in it, because that will turn on things in your brain that maybe have been create new connections. I mean, right. we, we know that the more connections you have, probably the more versatile your brain is. Okay. Um, and that, so that's true. All I would add is choose something you like. 
Because if, okay, if, sure. if you really hate German, then why would you study that? But choose something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is challenging, that you like, okay. and then, yes, that'll make it much easier for you. I'm going to learn racism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love when people hate. Right. <laughs> I know. I find it fascinating. Um, okay, great. Well, uh, I really thank you guys both for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Time. Is there anything you guys would like to plug? You performing? Um, yeah, I'm going on. T- uh, when does this come out? This probably Tuesday. Okay, yeah. Uh, I have a European tour starting next Friday. I'm going to be in France and Germany and Czech Republic and um, Spain and somewhere else I'm forgetting. Netherlands. Wow. Uh, then I got a U.S. tour after that starts up in uh, Seattle and goes all the way down through Cali and into Texas. And um, Beautiful. Yeah, and I got a new project that will be coming out somewhere in there too okay what's uh, do you want to tease us what's oh it's just called what happens when i try to relax and, and it's the first project on my own record label oh yeah. well congratulations for your own record label well, thank you that sounds very cool it's very stupid but <laughs> it is what i'm doing i think it's the, it's the way to go um and maybe you should learn german yes or german racism if, if you like that kind of stuff <laughs> <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh okay my life Raphael? is not nearly as interesting as yours but um you got um, a big ass tv i don't know man. yeah <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, but um, uh, I guess what I could tell listeners is um, uh, if they're interested, um, they can certainly find me uh, at UCLA. They can just Google me and they'll see who I am. Um, And if they're interested, um, two of the programs that I run at UCLA to teach kids about the brain, um, Mm -hmm. we're we're trying to get them more excited about science and teach them the kind of stuff that we're talking about today. Um, One of the programs is called Project Brainstorm. So we basically go to schools, K through 12, and we teach them about anything of the brain, the lobes included. That's why I was... You know, about Mike, and I was saying, huh, that's kind of an interesting way of teaching the lobes. Uh-huh. Um, and the other program that we have is called Dopa Team, which is to teach high schoolers about the risk of drug use. Mm-hmm. Um, what we talk about, what, the way we do it, however, is not to tell kids drugs are bad. What we tell kids is, this is what we know about drugs. This is as much as we can tell you, and we can't tell you more. Right. Just know what we know so you can make informed decisions. So we just let the high schoolers decide for themselves what they want to do or not. Um, and so if there's anyone there that is interested in us visiting your particular school, then you can reach us um, through our website in the Brain Research Institute at UCLA, and um, we'll kind of schedule you in, and we'll try to go visit the school. Okay, fantastic. What's that website? Um, it would be www.bri.ucla.edu. Um, BRI.ucla.edu. Yes. Great. Um, and, yeah, you can, you can find me. Just Google my name, and I'll be there. Rafael Romero. Yes. Wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. All right. Pleasure. All right. See you next time. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh, and the executive producer is Brett Kushner. Definitely follow us on Instagram at Bad Science Show. We are ramping it up and launching some new shiz, so that's exciting. And definitely send us an email at badscienceatseeker.com. That's badscienceatseeker.com. Let us know what movie you'd like us to do. And speaking of, our most requested film of all time is next week. It's The Martian, starring Matt Damon, directed by Ridley Scott, who will both be in studio. Just kidding. Neither of them will be there. Um, But it's a very exciting episode. We, of course, have a JPL scientist, so definitely tune in for that. And I will see you at that point next week. Bye-bye.